Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all, although many of you were at the biblical counseling training the last couple days. Um, many good reminders of how to be encouraging one another, helping each other to grow. Um, great tools, uh, a lot of information uh, to digest uh, over time, So, but we're thankful um, for it. Thankful that Brian and Michelle were able to come up with us. So hope you're able to join us, um, but if not, talk to someone who was there and hopefully get to come the next time. Well, we're back in Matthew. We're back in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, just as a reminder, what is this sermon about? It's about kingdom righteousness. That's what we've been saying all along. Uh, that the disciples, the disciples are the primary audience of this sermon. The disciples who have repented and entrusted, they've turned allegiance from sin and self to God, to Christ, to follow him, to come after him, to learn from him. And uh, Jesus says, gather these people. Remember we, at the end of chapter four, he, he also was teaching them how to fish. He said, I'm calling you to be fishers of men. And then he went fishing, so to speak, in Galilee for other people, doing miracles, showing this is a foretaste of the kingdom and gathering crowds around him. And there's that question, uh, are the crowds really there for the right reasons? And so they're sort of the secondary audience that we see by the end of the Sermon on the Mount. They're still in the background. But really what the sermon is laying out is what does it mean? What does it look like to follow Christ. If, if Christ is the king and he is uh, this kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of which Christ is king and the kingdom that will encompass the whole world in a physical and spiritual way in the future, if that's true, how do you live as a follower of Christ? How do you live as a follower of the king? And what we've also been saying as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, that as Jesus lays out these demands, which are a high standard. I mean, last week we ended with this word in verse 48 in chapter 5, you therefore must be perfect or blameless as your heavenly Father is perfect or blameless. That is the standard, that God's heart, God's, uh, that, that's what we saw as Jesus has uh, unpacked, uh, looking at the Old Testament scriptures and looking at the heart of the law, not just the external actions of the law, like the scribes and Pharisees were going after, but going after the heart of the law. And if you're going to go after the heart of the law, you're going to go after God's heart because the law of God is a manifestation of God's eternal moral character. That's the standard. How is that even possible as a disciple? And that's where we go back to the, backdrop, the, the backdrop of the new covenant. The new covenant, that reality that Jesus is, as the messianic king, is the mediator of the new covenant. And the new covenant not only provides for forgiveness of sins through the atonement of Christ, through his death on the cross, which is coming as the pinnacle of the storyline of Matthew. But then as the king, he gives the spirit, the spirit of God to live and indwell God's people as Ezekiel talked about to cause, to cause his followers, to cause his disciples to obey from the heart. And what we've been seeing, uh, what we saw in, in the, the last uh, couple times we've been in Matthew, we've looked at uh, Jesus illustrating, all right, here's how you, the, 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 he said in 5.17 through 20 that uh, the Old Testament isn't going away. 
The law and the prophets are still there. I'm the one who's come to actualize them, to fulfill them, including their righteous demands, meaning the demands from the heart. And so then he illustrated uh, in these six examples of what does it look like to not murder from the heart? It doesn't mean to just not commit the act of murder, but to not hate. And not even just to not hate uh, from the heart, to not, uh, to, 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 to not have the attitude towards a fellow disciple where you're murdering them in your heart, even though you're not doing the external action, but to be reconciled. We talked about adultery from the heart. What does it mean to not commit adultery from the heart? It doesn't just mean not doing the physical act, although that's true, but going to the heart, what is... What does it mean not looking at a woman with lustful intent? And so on and so forth. And each of those examples showing what does it look like? Here's the exterior command, but what is God driving towards in the heart? But now as we enter chapter 6, we turn a corner. We turn a slight corner in the sermon. Remember what we said is 5.17 through 20, where Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We said that's one bookend to the main body of the sermon. And chapter 7, verse 12, talking about the law and the prophets again, is another bookend. But within the body of the sermon itself, Jesus turns a corner in chapter 6. You can kind of think about it like this. If, if the commands, right, a lot of the commands that Jesus talks about, it's not like you're necessarily going to encounter those every day. You might. Uh, you might have a situation where one's oppo- someone's opposing you today, and so uh, how do I behave towards them? I, I seek to be generous and kind and, 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 and trust the case to God. But that's not necessarily an everyday occurrence. But what Jesus starts to address in chapter 6 is the things, what is righteousness? You can think chapter 5 was about the occasional righteousness. Well, how do you behave in these certain scenarios? What does righteousness look like there? But then in chapter 6, he starts talking about these are the, the righteous acts that you do regularly. Or you could think about it like righteous habits, righteous habits. Uh, there were the, the righteous habits that Jesus is going to talk about in, in chapter 6, 1 through 18. That's really the next main section that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. Chapter 6, 1 through 18. They're righteous habits. And how do you pursue those from the heart? See, it's still the same thing. We're going to the heart because that's where the new covenant takes us. But what, is, what are these habits of righteousness? What, are the, what does it look like to pursue those from the heart. And so we begin into that major section. Like I said, the next major section is really chapter 6, 1 through 18, and we're going to start delving into it today. And really the main idea for today, as we work through verses 1 through 6, is this. Take care to give and pray, looking for reward from the Father and not from people. That's what, that's what Jesus is speaking to in this passage, and that's what we need to take away. Take care, be warned, to give and to pray, looking for reward from the Father and not from people. And really, he introduces, he's going to give three examples. He's going to talk about, uh, in, in the whole of this section, he's going to talk about um, giving to the needy. He's going to talk about prayer, and he's going to talk about fasting. Those were kind of pillars of Judaism, so to speak. They were piety, would be the old word of these kind of righteous habits and actions in the Jewish culture. And he's going to instruct, how do you pursue those from the heart? And he starts in verse 1 with a principle a principle that will be applied to each of the specific examples 
that he speaks to. And so our first uh, uh, point today and our first thing that we're looking at is in verse 1. And what you need to take away is this. Heed the reward principle. Heed the reward principle. So let's just look at verse 1 for a couple minutes here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. The word for beware there, you could translate it, take care. Uh, but it's, it's kind of, it's, it's not just take care in one instance. This is like ongoing take care. Like watch out always for this sort of idea. Keep on the alert for this. So it's really a warning that Jesus starts with. It's really a warning that's the primary command in verse 1. And what's he talking about? Practicing your righteousness. There's our main theme in the sermon. Before other people in order to be seen by them. Now we know that Jesus is not, he's not specifically, it's not about doing righteousness before people. Per se. That's not exactly what he's addressing. How do I know that? Well, turn back to 516 when we were talking about salt and light. You remember about talking salt and light? And we said that disciples, uh, as they live out the, as kingdom citizens, uh, they are to be distinct. They're to be visible. They're to be st- distinct and useful in the world. They're to be visible in the world. But look at 516. For what purpose? 516 In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, which is just really a synonym for righteousness, as Jesus is talking about it, so that they may may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus wants his disciples visible. He wants their righteousness visible. So that's not the issue that Jesus is addressing in 6.1 per se. But what's the difference between 5.16 and 6.1? It's this, the motive, the motive. The motive in 5.16 was this, to, in order that as you're practicing righteousness, people say, well, why are you different? What's going on? Well, you're, 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 you shine like a light in the darkness. And they could point to the fact that this comes from my Father who is in heaven, the one who has produced, who has given the Spirit into my heart, who has made me a new covenant participant so that I can o- obey, right? And so then God is being honored. He's being reverenced in that sense. But notice the motivation in 6.1. Take care. Be on the alert for practicing your righteousness before other people And here's the key part, in order to be seen by them. Or literally, it's to be noticed, to be noticed by these people. Why not? And then we get a reason. Jesus gives us a reason, uh, really kind of an, if he, really the way he says it is, he says this, if you're not going to take care to, uh, to, to, to not do your righteousness, to be noticed by people, here's the result. Here's the result. For then you will have No reward from your Father who is in heaven. And what Jesus is doing, he's setting up a principle. And this is the first time he's talked about this, this idea of reward. He's really been lacing the sermon with it already. If you were to go back to the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, remember the Beatitudes, they talk about uh, this idea of flourishing, happy, the good life. 
looks like when you're poor in spirit, when you mourn, when you, you're meek, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, when you're merciful, when you're pure in heart, when you're peacemakers, when you're persecuted even for righteousness' sake. So all of these kind of situations like, oh, that you're afflicted, you're, you're being persecuted. But he says, what's the payoff, so to speak? We talked about this when we went through the Beatitudes. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's being comforted in that kingdom. It's inheriting the earth in that kingdom it's being satisfied with righteousness in that kingdom. All of those things, it's the idea of reward. In fact, in 512, at the end of the Beatitudes, when Jesus says, you're being persecuted for, for doing righteousness, he says this, rejoice and be glad for your reward. Same word in 6.1, is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What's the reward? The reward is the kingdom of heaven, and it's in the kingdom of heaven. Even in 5.17 through, through 20, he's spoken to this idea. Verse 19, we talked about this when we went through this key, key section before we got into the specific commands. He says this, 5.19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, Old Testament commandments, pursuing them from a heart, that's what he's aiming at, and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see how it works, right? That, that the righteousness that is produced not by the disciples themselves, it's not a merited righteousness, it's a righteousness that's a gift by the Holy Spirit through the new covenant. But the idea is that as you practice that righteousness, unless you have a righteousness from the heart, which the scribes and Pharisees didn't, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven at all. But even within that, even if you enter the kingdom of heaven in the future that Christ is going to bring, if you pursue God's commands, you pursue righteousness uh, and seeking obedience to him produced by the Holy Spirit, if you pursue that, you're going to be called great, implication, great reward within the kingdom. But if you don't do that, you're going to be called least. So there's two aspects to this reward that Jesus is talking about. It's entering the kingdom, period. And then even within that, your reward within that physical and spiritual kingdom that Christ will rule over in the future. And so that's even in 546, as recent, recently as last week, he's brought up this idea of reward, 546, says this, for if you love those who love you, he's talking about how do you love your neighbors? Well, loving your neighbors actually means loving your enemies and praying for them. And he says this, for if you love those who love you, what reward, same word as in 6.1, do you have? In other words, if you're not actually pursuing obedience from the heart, independence on the spirit and following Christ, you don't have, there's no merit to that. There's no, there's no benefit to that. It doesn't, it's, it's not honored by the father. And Jesus continues with that idea in 6.1. How does he motivate, uh, motivate um, the idea of not practicing righteous habits in other, before other people in order to be seen by them? Well, he motivates it with the idea of reward. He motivates it with the idea of reward. Thinking of it this way, really what Jesus is setting up as a principle in 6.1 is this. 
there, you're, um, you've got two options. If you want to do your righteous habits, your righteous actions, your pious actions before other people for the purpose of the notice of people, in other words, reward from people, well, you can do that, but you're not getting a penny from the Father. Or conversely, uh, thinking about it the reverse way, you could do your righteous acts for your father's reward versus people's reward, right? It's an it's a either-or scenario, and that's what you're going to see in the specific examples that Jesus brings up. It's not wrong to seek reward from the father. It's not wrong, because that's how Jesus is motivating it. But here's the type of reward we're talking about here. Yes, it does have to do with the future kingdom. Yes, it has to do with realities, physical and spiritual realities in that future kingdom. But this, this is the reward of a child, child seeking reward and approval from a father. That's different, isn't it? It's, it's right and good when a child because of a relationship uh, with the father, it's right and good that a child should seek to please that father, right? And even seek reward in terms of approval. Uh, Father, I want you to be happy with what I'm doing. I want you to be honored in what I'm doing. And even to to seek uh, that, that sort of reward within that, that approval, that to please the father, That's the kind of reward we're talking about here. And the amazing thing is, and this is what you see not just in Matthew 5 or the Sermon on the Mount, but you'll see it in Matthew as a whole. It's the sort of father-child relationship that recognizes that the father that we have as disciples in Christ is a generous and good and gracious father. A generous and good and gracious father. And so it is not wrong to seek reward and approval and pleasing him in our pursuit of righteousness. So that's kind of the principle that we're seeing. We see the trade-off. There's a trade-off between seeking the reward from people and seeking reward from God. You're going to seek reward either way, but you've got a trade-off here. Let's see that applied to these specific situations. So first, as we look in two through four, uh, really the main idea of this section is give looking for the father's reward. Give looking for the father's reward. So let's look at verse 2. So now he's going to apply the principle he just talked about in verse 1 to specific instances. Thus, see there's our link, therefore when you give to the needy, or some of your translations might say give alms or something like that, or do charitable giving or give to the poor. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So the way this would work in Jewish society, there was a couple kind of avenues in which you would give to the needy or the poor. And here's the thing about that society. When someone begged, it was an honor-shame culture. Begging, it wasn't like, um, uh, there was, when someone begged, it was out of desperation. It is uh, what is out of desperate need in that society. 
But what would happen, you have these local synagogues, I mean, it would be analogous to our local church, right? And they would have collections for the needy, and they would distribute those funds. It would be like our deacons fund. We have a deacons fund, right? And we, uh, we, we know there are needs in the body. Uh, sometimes uh, there are ways in which we can contribute even outside the body, which is good. It's kind of like that in the Jewish society, right? So they would take this collection uh, for the needy, and then later it would get distributed. Uh, the other way that you could give to the needy is as, as you're walking the streets, so to speak. Here, it's talking about uh, not so much a, just a general street, but like an alley. So you're walking down an alley, you see a beggar there, he's begging for alms, right? Um, and you have an opportunity to give, right? Now, the, op- the giving to the needy is not the problem at all. In fact, Jesus assumes that his disciples are going to do that. He assumes that the disciples are going to give to the needy. But here's what he talks about against, sound no trumpet before you. Sound no trumpet before you. What does that mean? I think it's just metaphorical language. Uh, we would use the term tooting your own horn, right? You're, you're drawing attention to yourself. So you're going up to the, 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 you know, the chest in the synagogue and you're putting your money in and you're doing whatever you can to draw attention to yourself, right? That's, you're tooting your own horn. You're, 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 trying, you're trying to get attention, uh, or even in the alley, right? When you meet the beggar, you're trying to say, oh, I'm giving to this beggar. Hey, look, everyone, this is what I'm doing. Aren't I a good person? Maybe you might not come right out and say that, but there are ways in which the person is directing attention to their self. And Jesus highlights their motivation that they may be praised. That's the word for glory. Uh, it's the same word that was used in 516 to talk about glorifying the Father, Their motivation is not to glorify the Father, it's to glorify themselves, to be honored by others, to be honored by others. That's their goal. I want the notoriety of others. That's what they're saying. And Jesus uses this term, and we're going to see it a bunch in Matthew, you see it in the Gospels in general, hypocrites. Literally, this this word hypocrites, we need to understand it, it came from Greek theater, Greek theater. A hypocrite was an actor. He was an actor. Uh, he was playing a part, uh, trying to represent a character uh, in the play. So you could, uh, I think even maybe a more helpful translation for us, it would be play actor. So don't be like the play actors who do, who, who trumpet, uh, sound a trumpet before them giving in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. In what sense are they play acting? Let's think about that for a minute. In what sense are they play acting? Well, it's this, that they're doing an action which they're presenting as seeking to honor God and giving uh, to the needy. That was something that was well established in the Old Testament and Judaism in general. They're portraying that I'm doing this for God. But what's their actual motivation? Their actual motivation is not God's reward, but the reward from people. Now, what does that make you if you're seeking the reward and the praise of people rather than God? Even uh, that, that makes you a liar, certainly, right? A play actor. But it also makes you something else. It makes you a functional atheist. It makes you a functional atheist. What you are saying when you want the praise of people rather than the praise of God is you're saying... Well, you know, there's God and he exists. You might even acknowledge that in some sense, right? But really, man, the reward I could get now from people, from the people that God has created, 
is better than the reward I could get from God. Essentially, then, you're saying that God doesn't exist, or at least he doesn't exist in any sort of way that the reward that he could give could compare with the reward that people could give. You see how that works? It's twisted. It's play-acting. And it's foolish. It's absolutely foolish. And Jesus points this out. The end of verse 2, he says this, Truly I say to you, which is Jesus' way of saying, Listen up, folks. This is important, what I'm about to tell you. They have received their reward. Literally, it's the idea, they, um, they are receiving their reward in full. This is, a, this is actually technical language that they would use in that time at the end of receipts. Paid in full. Paid in full. So the irony here is, is these folks, these play actors, what are they motivated by? The praise of people and being noticed by people. And they might get it. And Jesus said, yeah, you're going to get it. Paid in full. That's it. That's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get. If that's the reward you're seeking, the praise of people, that's all you're ever going to get. You're not getting a penny from the Father, so to speak. You're paid in full. The account is closed. That's what the disciples are to avoid. But then he contrasts, okay, that's what you're not supposed to do. What are you supposed to do? But when you give to the needy, again, it's assumed as a disciple, you're going to do that. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do not know what your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, think about that, right? Your left hand knowing what the right hand is doing. Um, is that possible? Can your left hand not know what your right hand is doing? No, it's not possible. But what's the point? The point is Jesus is emphasizing absolute secrecy. Absolute secrecy. As secret as you could, as secret as you could make it. Why? So that your giving may be in secret. Okay, we got that. And here's the result. And your father who sees in secret, literally the secret place, will reward you. So what's the idea? Well, the idea is, uh, the, the contrast is the reward you're seeking. Are you seeking the praise? That you, you're either going to seek the praise of people, or you're going to seek the praise of God. And if your motivation is to seek the approval of God, the honor of God, back in 516, that's the motivation, right? To honor God, to please God, to seek his approval. If, you're, if the disciples' motivation, and it should be to seek God's approval, then it shouldn't matter how public the giving is at all, right? Uh, it can be as secret as you could possibly make it, and the disciple would be just fine with that because what he, is seek, he or she is seeking is the approval and the reward of the Father in heaven, like a child seeking to please their Father. So it shouldn't matter how publicly visible the giving is. It shouldn't matter how publicly visible it is. And notice how the, the, the reward language, right? We've got a contrast in reward language. Before, with the play actor, it was paid in full. But notice how open-ended this is. And your father who sees in secret, God is omnipresent. He sees everything everywhere. And the disciple knows this. Uh, he knows that no matter how secret he makes it, he, the, this, the father is going to see. And that's all that matters to them. And then listen to this. It's, it's just interesting. The, your father who sees in the secret place will reward you. 
kind of open-ended, isn't it? Doesn't describe how, doesn't describe exactly why. We know it's from the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in the context of Matthew. It's the reward is the kingdom and even within the kingdom, the future physical and spiritual kingdom that Jesus as Messiah will reign over from a throne in Jerusalem, but it's open-ended and that's fine. Right? The disciple, uh, if you understand that God is the one, the father, the generous and good father who is giving that reward, you don't need it spelled out at all. You just trust to his generous and good nature because your motive is like a child with the father. I want to honor the father. I want his approval. I want to do what he is pleased with. And he'll reward me in his time with the way he sees fit. And that's good. It's open-ended versus the paid in full of the play actor. So as we think about just how would we apply this as as, uh, 21st century Christians, as disciples, first, do you give regularly to the needy? Now, it's a little bit different in our society than it was then. It's a little more difficult in our society to find those who genuinely need help, and yet we do encounter them, don't we? We're able on occasion, as we have opportunity, uh, we have the opportunity to give to the needy. And Jesus would have us do that. The Father would have us do that. As we have opportunity, do we give to the needy because it pleases the Father, because we're seeking his approval, because we want his reward? We could broaden it a little bit. What's your motivation in giving, period? Whether it's giving to the needy or giving in general. Remember, Jesus is just selecting three examples of righteous habits, right? There are a lot more righteous habits that we do as Christians and believers. But the key is what God always is driving back to, what's the motivation? What's your motivation? You can do, two people could do the exact same exterior acts and have totally different motivations, and God care, the God who sees in secret, who sees everything in secret, is what matters. What is your motivation in giving? The praise of people. Is it just routine? You might say, well, I just give. That's just what I do, right? But that's not what God wants. God doesn't want just a routine. He wants you seeking his approval and knowing that he's a good and generous father. That is the idea. Do you seek the father's approval in giving? So that's the first example of that principle applied. Next, let's see the next one. In verses 5 through 6, we enter prayer. So we just talked about giving and specifically giving to the needy as an example. But here we jump into prayer. And actually, he's going to kind of digress a little bit and talk a lot about prayer, which is good. We're going to talk a lot about prayer. So if you struggle with prayer, uh, this and then next week, uh, these are good opportunities to learn about prayer. And how do we pray better. But for us, for today, the idea in verses 5 through 6 is this, pray looking for the Father's reward. Pray looking for the Father's reward. Look at verse verse 5. And when you pray, so again, we see that assumed language. The disciple is going to pray. They should pray regularly. And when you pray, you must not be like the play actors, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
So a couple things you got to know. Um, prayer in Jewish culture was usually out loud, usually, normally, out loud, and standing. So you would normally stand and pray. That was just the normal posture. They would also have set times in prayer. So even uh, in the temple, uh, they would have uh, a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. And those were kind of set times that you could pray. Um, different extra biblical sources tell us, you know, about these set times in prayer. And it seems like even in the afternoon, they would blow a trumpet to kind of let you know that, hey, it's the evening prayer time. Why don't you stop what you're doing and pray? Kind of like what Muslims would do, right? They hear the, the call to prayer and then they stop what they're doing and they pray right away. Kind of that idea. And so how would this connect with what Jesus is talking about in the synagogues and the street corners? Well, in the synagogues, if you were to pray, um, it would be kind of like what we do with elder prayer, right? So someone comes up, like Jim that did this morning, and he, he gives some announcements, then he prays for the service, right? It's kind of a formal thing, and it, um, it's part of the worship service. Well, it's similar to what happened in the synagogue. But if your motivation is the praise of people, then you could manipulate that in that society, right, to, to say, well, here I am, I'm visible, and uh, I want people to honor me, you know, because of this preeminent position and praying in the synagogue. The street corners, it's not the same word for streets that was used in giving above. It's actually the idea of a main thoroughfare. So you think about like a main intersection, uh, like a town square almost, and that's the corner he's talking about. It could be that what's being referred to here is when you hear that, that, that horn for afternoon prayer that you kind of time it so that you end up at a street corner and you stop and you stand and you pray in front of everyone. Or it could just be that that's, uh, uh, it's not so much the set time of prayer, that's just where they prayed and they availed themselves of that opportunity. But again, the motivation is the same, that they may be seen. Visibility, right? That's the aim, that they may be seen by others. Here's the irony. How are these folks play acting? Let's think about that again. How are these folks play acting? They're play acting because they're ostensibly what they're doing. What is prayer? Talking with God and calling upon God, asking, praising God, asking God for things. In other words, in prayer, who do you want to be heard? God. You want God to be heard or God to hear you rather, right? You want God to, you, you want God to hear you. But what are these folks doing? They don't care about whether God hears them or not. They care about the other people who are hearing them. So in a very real way, they're praying to the people that they want to be heard by, aren't they? That's the play acting. It's an act, right? An act to say, well, I'm externally looking like I'm doing something good and righteous, and it looks like I'm talking to God, and I'm super pious, and I'm super righteous, or super spiritual, or however you want to say that. But actually, I care about people. Again, it's the idea of functional atheism, ways of behaving that look, uh, that, that they're not motivated by the Father's reward at all. They care about the here and now praise from people. And Jesus says the same thing again. Truly I say to you, they're receiving their reward in full. Paid in full. You sought that reward. You sought the visibility. Maybe you got it but that's all you're going to get. The account's closed. There's nothing else. But what does Jesus want his disciples to do? Verse 6. 
But when you pray, again, assuming that a disciple prayer is an ongoing, regular part of a disciple's life, when you pray, go into your room. The idea is, uh, the word is, if you take it super literally, it would be like a storeroom. So like your broom closet, right? Uh, and, 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 and these weren't particularly big rooms. Uh, they would house like, you know, kind of like your pantry or something like that. Uh, but it was like the only um, uh, room in the house that would have a door on it. Uh, in the sense that uh, he's talking about here. So you can imagine kind of climbing into your broom closet and shutting the door. Well, now it's dark, right? They don't have lights. You're probably not taking a candle in there with you. So now it's totally dark. You're in a room. This is as secret as you can get in this society, right? It's a very cultural, you know, communal society. This is as secret as you can be in this society. Shut the door and pray to your father who is in the secret place, the place you're at, right? God is omnipresent. doesn't matter how uh, Psalm 139 talks about this reality. It doesn't matter where you go uh, on earth. You could go to the farthest, most, uh, most hidden place you could think of. God is there. He is in that secret place. And that's all that matters to the disciple. That's all that matters to the disciple is that the Father is there. And your Father who sees in the secret place will reward you. Again, Jesus is not so much, it's not so much the, the, the location, it's the motivation for why you're there. So just to maybe state what's obvious, he, what we, did, we didn't sin this morning when Jim prayed in, in front of you all. We didn't, we didn't sin, right? Because Jim didn't go to his, the, the closet and pray from there, right? That's not what exactly he's talking about. The point is, is your motivation, whether you're talking in a group, and Jesus will talk about, even in the Lord's Prayer, the, the setting is communal. The setting is other disciples. So he wants that to happen. But the key is, whether you're with other people or whether you're in your broom closet praying in the dark, is the person you care most about hearing you God, the Father, that's what a disciple cares about. It, the disciple cares about the Father hearing the prayer and answering the prayer. Of, of the prayer being acceptable and pleasing to God. Of seeking reward from the Father as a child does from a father. And the disciple trusts this. And your father, Jesus is holding this out as a motivation. Uh, and your father who sees in the secret place will reward you. God will reward that. If you're, seeking, if you're seeking from him and from him alone, you're seeking to honor him and him alone, you're seeking reward from him and him alone, he'll reward you. And again, it's open-ended. It's not paid in full. It's he'll reward you in the future, in his way, in his timing, in the way that he describes, and, it does, and the disciple is content with that because the Father is good and generous. Do you desire to pray to the Father? See, that's the reality of repenting, turning allegiance from sin and self, and following Christ. You're adopted. You're adopted. You're adopted as a son or daughter, which is why in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just God, it's Father. Father was a pretty rare term in Judaism as a whole. You don't see it that much in the Old Testament. You do see it, but you don't see it that much but it signals intimate relationship, which is exactly what coming to Christ is. 
being a disciple is, intimate relationship with the Father. Well, if you have an intimate relationship with the Father, then you should want to talk to Him. Do you play, do you desire to pray to the Father? Are you in a good habit of regular prayer with your Heavenly Father? And we could add that, regular uh, time in the Word and in prayer. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a law. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here, but it's a habit. Habits are given to us by God to, to help us to develop good, good habits, righteous habits. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And we ought to desire time with the Father, hearing from Him, right? If they, why do we couple reading the Word and prayer? Because reading the Word and hearing from the Word, that's hearing from God, and then what do we do in prayer? We respond back. It's part of a cycle. We, what, are your, what, what is the content of your prayers? Jesus is going to talk about the content of your prayers next week, but uh, one thing we could say is this, right? What you read about and what you learn from the Scriptures and hearing from the Father, you respond. You respond to what you read, right? That's one of the easiest ways to prompt yourself in prayer. Read the Scriptures, understand the Scriptures, and pray back to the Father and talk to Him about it. And how does it apply to your life? You should desire that time. Do you desire to pray to the Father? Are you in a good habit of regular prayer with your Heavenly Father? Here's another one. We have prayer groups. Um, times we pray together. We even had one this morning where we're all here, and we're, I love hearing that, right? The murmuring and, and, and all of that. And I like hearing it not because... I, I like hearing it because I know you're talking to the Father, or when we do the prayer groups at night, those are wonderful times and, uh, to, to, to work together, to kind of come together before the throne of grace in prayer. But there is a danger. There is a danger. It's easy to fall into. When, when praying in groups, is your focus on what other people think of what you are saying? Or is the focus on your heavenly Father just as if you were praying by yourself? Now, I get it. There's a sense in which you're coming together. As you pray in a group, you're kind of representing the concerns of the group in a sense. But there's a way in which you can worry about how I'm going to sound to other people and all of that. That shouldn't even come into your mind. Or, or I've, 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 I think I've heard and seen this before, right? Where you're almost like if you're praying in a group, one person prays this, and then the other person's trying to one-up them, sort of, or kind of even address what they said in, or in a critiquing way. I've heard that before. That shouldn't happen. Because the concern, the concern, and this is the difficult part when you're in a group, your mind when you're praying in a group together is directed to the Father just as if you were in your broom cupboard. That's, that's the idea. You're seeking reward from Him. You're seeking His pleasure and approval, not the pleasure and approval of others. As we kind of, we could broaden this application out, as we've seen the principle applied and that applied to giving to the needy and praying, we could broaden this application to righteous actions as a whole. So we ask it like this, what's your motive for your righteous actions? Whether giving, prayer, attending church, preaching, or any other sort of pious activity? Is it seeking to honor the Father and receiving His approval and honor? Or are you play-acting and pretending to honor the Father, but really you're after some other reward? When are you tempted, or where are you tempted, to seek people's approval rather than God's? Here's the thing. Here's the trick. 
Sometimes you don't care what people think, but you care what you think. Sometimes seeking approval from other people is seeking approval from yourself. Sometimes when you're doing righteous actions, it does, it's not so much what God, whether God cares about it or not, it's whether the righteous action meets your standard of approval. I struggle with that. I struggle with that. And so I have to remind myself the same exact principle. I'm not working for myself. I'm working for God. I desire his reward. He's my generous father. I want to honor him, not myself, not my own standard, not other people's standard, him. Such behavior is play acting. You only get what the reward of praise from others or self. You might, rather than the Father's generous reward. And that's the foolishness of it, right? Jesus is really practical, right? It's foolish to seek other people's reward because God can reward you in a way greater way, in his way, in his timing, than you could ever receive from other people, right? So seeking reward from people or from yourself is foolish. It's stupid. And Jesus warns us. He warns the disciples because we have to continually be on our guard. This isn't just a one-time, okay, I'm not going to do that. This is a continual watchfulness that we not be play actors in what we do. Because we're prone to it. That's who we are apart from God. We are play actors who want our own approval or others' approval for our own glory. But as a disciple, one who's been called out, we need to be on guard against that old way of thinking. And here's, here's if we were to put a, there's the warning aspect to what Jesus is saying, but there's also a positive way of thinking about this. Here's the positive way of stating what we've been stating all this time. Seek reward from the Father as a child. Do that. That's what Jesus wants you to do. Just like Jesus calls on the Father, we as adopted children have that, that privilege. Seek reward from the Father as a child. Rejoice that the Father is good and generous and delights to have us seek, uh, have us seek to please him through the power of the Spirit. You, uh, I'm not a parent, but I, I can imagine this scenario, right? As a parent, you're, you're having your child, you're trying to train them to do something good and right, and they, they try and they do not that great a job, right? But you're so pleased, right? Because they're trying. They're, they're trying, because of the relationship you have with them, they're, they're growing in that. That's the sort of thing that we're talking about here. There's last, one last thing I would say as we close. What if you find that you are the play actor? Now, Jesus doesn't call the disciples play actors, does he? He says, there's these other folks that are play actors. Don't be like them. Don't come to them. Right? And by extension and what we see in the rest of the gospel, we know those are the scribes, the Pharisees, the people who are doing things on the external, but there's no internal reality. What if you realize here this morning that you are the play actor? Well, what would Jesus call you to? He would say, stop seeking reward from other people or from yourself. That's stupid. Repent. Repent from your sin. Repent from play acting and trust yourself to Christ that will change your heart and seek a better reward. Not because you're anything. Again, we think about this, this, this reality that all of this is by grace. Grace that you can repent and entrust yourself to Christ. Grace that your sins are paid for 
and that um, the Father sees Christ's righteousness in your place. Grace that you're changed into a good tree, to use that tree analogy again, that can produce good fruit, that is produced by the Spirit of God, that the Father himself rewards, even that he himself produced that fruit. That's the kind of God we're talking about here. We serve a better master. We serve a better king. We serve a better father than the play actor. The play actor serves people. They serve self, and that will earn a paltry reward now and eternal damnation in the future. So if that's you this morning, I would encourage you, repent and trust yourself to Christ and seek the good Father, because that's, that's, that's who we are as Christians. The, the good of the good news is God himself, that relationship with him, knowing him and loving him and enjoying him for all eternity. Take care to give and pray, looking for reward from the Father and not from people. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you so much. And we want to be those people who guard us from play acting. Lord, we are prone to it. Keep us from it. Guard us this week. Help us to seek your reward, your honor, your approval alone. And to know that you will take care of the reward piece in your timing, in your way, because you're good and generous. And we, we thank you. We thank you for bringing us into this life. We thank you for Christ, who is our righteousness in our place. Thank you that we can pursue righteousness and that it is pleasing in your sight, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is is and how Christ is being formed in us through the Spirit. Lord, I just pray that you would be with these folks this morning as they go. Help them this week. Help them to love you more and to seek you as a child seeks their father. We ask these things and pray them in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand with me for a benediction. Philippians 1 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Church, you are sent.